So Revelation chapter 2, you know, I was thinking about uh, how I read this article. There was some serious internal infection that was going on with this dog. The owner brought their dog to the emergency animal hospital. The three-year-old Great Dane was not doing good in throwing up when they arrived. And x-rays then showed a stomach full of some foreign material. Well, after two hours of surgery, the doctor, um, McGee, came to the owners and reported the dog had consumed 43 and a half socks. I was wondering about the half there, you know, why, why is there a half there? Well, the owners must have wondered, too. I mean, I was thinking 43 socks. I mean, they must have been wondering, where's all my socks going, you know, kind of thing. Are we throwing them away or what's going on there? Well, the dog got inside her what doesn't belong to be inside her. So today we come for, to the fourth of the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation here. And here what we're going to see is Jesus writes to the church of Thyatira who permitted this prophetess to corrupt the church and what she did she made the church sick basically from the inside out with the poison of false teaching basically saying this that God's okay with you pleasing yourself so I titled our message the serious internal infection the serious internal infection and we're going to be looking at the last part of Revelation chapter 2 from verse 18 through 29. It's the longest of the uh, letters to the churches here we're going to tackle here this morning. And our, we're going to see three things. We're going to see Jesus sees the healthy, Jesus sees the sickness, and Jesus sees the overcomer. So that's our outline. Let's begin with number one here. Jesus sees the healthy. And we're going to be looking at verse 18 and 19 in this section. Uh, we're going to begin with verse 18, though. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, it reads, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And we'll stop right there. We begin with who this letter is written to. And this particular letter in chapter 2 is written to, first of all, the angel of the church. And remember, we've been seeing this in all the letters. The angel, I believe, means a pastor, the leader of the church there. And so it goes to him for him to read to the church. So in actuality, it's to him and the church in that way. And it's the church in Thyatira. Uh, you can see on the map I've been showing you every week that it's about 40 miles southeast of Pergam. Now we're making our way around now of uh, this circle of the seven churches there in ancient Asia. And so Thyatira was this Roman military outpost. Uh, this major city was on a trade route and it was the center of commercial trade in that this was where a lot of manufacturing was going on. Uh, in this city, they did all the like leather work, uh, cloth work, making clothes, uh, bronze work, pottery they made. Uh, they made idol images for the temples and all. So this was a, a major like manufacturing, trade, commercial trade, all that was going on. And they were also known for dyeing cloth. And I bring this up because if you remember, it was in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, and back 16, around there, that Paul 
first, his first convert in the city of Philippi was a merchant from Thyatira, and her name was, do you remember, Lydia. Lydia, the seller of purple, right? She uh, 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 dyed the cloth, and she was selling that certain material for people to buy. And uh, the seller of purple, this purple dye was world famous, and it was made from the matter root, and is very, very uh, valuable, very expensive. I was reading, like five ounces was like a year's worth of wages. And so it was really sought after, and it was a commercial uh, uh, cloth that was dyed. And so anyway, this is Thyatira. This is this, the city. So I was thinking it might be perhaps it was from the influence of Lydia who got saved in Philippi. Maybe she went back to Thyatira and there her influence maybe in sharing with other uh, people, they became believers and a church was born and planted there in that city. And I like that thought. You know, here she comes to the Lord and she gets on fire for Jesus. Puritan John Trapp wrote, One live coal may set a whole stack on fire. And I like that idea that you and I, we can be like Lydia, and who knows, influence others for Jesus Christ and maybe even uh, help a church get founded. Well, the next thing we find in verse 18 is who this letter is from. It's to the angel of the church or the church in Tyra. Well, it says now the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So these are the words from who? Jesus. None other than Jesus Christ, as these all these letters to the churches are from Jesus. As he dictates this, John is writing this down in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and that's what we've been covering. Well, every time he writes a letter to the churches, he describes himself differently, right? And here he begins with, he's the Son of God, and we know that. He is God's Son. He's the one who's come to this earth in the flesh, fully God, fully human, to die on the cross for our sins. He's God's Son. He's the Son of God. And then he takes this. He says, who has eyes like a flame of fire. Do you remember where we've seen that before? Well, you remember back in chapter 1, when John was describing him, when Jesus appeared to him in verse 14, it says at the end, it says his eyes were like a flame of fire. Remember, we talked about that. We talked about how Jesus can see all the way through into our minds, into our hearts, that he knows and sees everything. And like Hebrews 4 uh, uh was it four thirteen says that everything is open and exposed before him. So he knows all things. So his eyes, that flame of fire, he knows, he knows exactly what's going on. And the next thing we see here in verse 18, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So this letter comes from Jesus, whose feet is like burnished bronze. Once again, it's taken from chapter 1 in that description of his in verse 15. His feet were like burnished bronze. Bronze, And it speaks about Jesus' authority in judgment. That bronze always speaks of judgment in the Bible, and it speaks of the righteous judgment of God. So here's Jesus coming, knowing everything, seeing everything, I should say, and he comes with judgment here. He comes with that authority to be able to judge. So he introduces himself as the writer in this manner as he gets into what he's going to talk about. So here's Jesus. He sees into the internal of this church. And he has the authority to judge accordingly. You know, it's interesting that here in the city of Thyatira, there was a temple that was not only used 
to the worship of Caesar. You remember during this time, uh, the emperor had required everyone to do, take a pinch of incense and worship and uh, giving worship to Caesar. Well, not only was this temple used for that, this temple was originally dedicated to the Greek or, Greek or Roman god Apollo, who was said to be uh, the son of the chief god Zeus. And Caesar himself was setting himself up to say, hey, I'm a son of Zeus too, of the Roman God. So here's Jesus saying, no, I'm the son of God, the God, the creator of all the earth. So here's Jesus setting himself above all that uh, these, the, the, the people may claim Apollo is or what Caesar claims that he is. So that's the in, this is how Jesus introduce, introduces himself. Well, then he says this in verse 19. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So here's Jesus saying, I know once again, right? He's been saying that in almost all the letters or all the letters here. He knows, and with his eyes of of flame and fire, he can see. He can see what's going on in the inside, so he knows. He sees all. And then he, he mentions here, I know your works. Now the word works here in the Greek is used also of your, like, product, what, what you've made, what has come out. And so I think it's perfect for this manufacturing city yeah, that makes things. He's like kind of alluding to that, saying, hey, I know your works. And what are the works of the church? What is the church producing? What's coming out? What are their goods? Well, he says, I know your, your works, your love, your love for God, your love for one another, your faith, your faith in God, your faith in that way and believing in God and your service, how they're serving the Lord in ministry all and patient endurance uh, as they continue to labor in the Lord. And we talked about that way back, I think it was in uh, the letter to Ephesians or, or was that Smyrna? But either way, God sees those works, what's being produced, what's being output in that way. And then Jesus also commends them in these, this product in, in the goods, in the work, so to speak, in that, at the end of verse 19, that your latter works exceed the first. In other words, they've grown in love. They've grown in faith. They've grown in service. They've grown spiritually in that patient endurance. So first of all, we, we see here Jesus sees the healthy part of the church. This is what he's recognizing. This is what he's commending that there, there are some healthy things that are going on. You're growing spiritually. You're exceeding what, uh, uh, what that your latter works exceed the first. There's more output going on spiritually and there is constant growth. And I love that God sees that. I love that God recognizes that. In Hebrews 6.10 it says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God sees our work. God sees the effort we put in. God sees what's being produced as we're growing in the Lord in a way of fruit. And, and, and he recognizes that just like how Jesus is saying this here. So, first of all, Jesus is blessed by seeing the constant spiritual growth in the church. Jesus is blessed by seeing the constant spiritual growth in the church. You know, our uh, granddaughter, uh, Riley, just uh, turned one uh, the other week. And as 
uh, we were talking about around one years old, you know, baby starts to walk while she's starting to walk, you know. And it, it's so funny, even yesterday at our house, she'll just kind of push up and she'll, she'll just get going, you know, and, and even turn. And we're like, oh, and, you know, grandparents are like, yeah, yeah, go, Riley, go, go, go. And, and it, I, I just... I just love it. It just reminds me of my daughter, our daughter, you know, who is an adult now. But when she first started crawling, you know, and started to get, get into that and start moving around, next, you know, she's doing the same thing as Riley. And we know the next step, right? What's going to happen after they start walking? They're going to run, right? Some of your parents are saying, yeah, and then they run away from you, you know. But, right? And then, they, then what happens? As they grow older, mature, right? The, the, the latter work start to increase, right? They even increase more into uh, uh, jumping, yeah, and, and doing tumbles and twirling, and they just go on and on. I think about my own daughter, oh, all of a sudden in high school, you know, she's doing all these sports, you know, track, and uh, she's doing pole vaulting, you know. Look, think about that, jumping, and, and uh, what's the, um, you jump over the... Uh, Hurdles, hurdles, yeah, the hurdles and paddling, swimming, surf. You know, so we grow, right? In that sense, we're in the same way. Jesus is saying, hey, yeah, your ladder works. You've increased even more. You've grown. You're healthy. You're spiritually healthy in that sense. And, and you're, you're, the works that are coming out, the fruit, that's all wonderful. And I'm blessed by seeing the constant spiritual growth in the church. How about you today? Have you grown spiritually? Since you first gave your life to the Lord, have, have you been growing and exceeding? Are the latter works really, really uh, coming out more? Or maybe sometimes some people spiritually were still crawling around when we should be walking. Or sometimes we're still walking when we should be jumping yeah, or, or running. Where are you? Are, have there been growth in your life? If, if Jesus wrote a letter to you today, would he be able to be blessed and see you healthy and progressing as you should be? That's what Jesus is blessed by, and so he should be with us. So number one, Jesus sees the healthy. Jesus sees the healthy. Let's go to number two in our outline. Jesus sees the sickness. Jesus sees the sickness. There's a healthy part of this church, but there's some sickness going on. And this is the serious internal infection. Now, in this section, we're going to cover verse 20 through 23, but let's begin with verse 20. Jesus says this, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So here's the problem. Jesus brings this up now in, in the letter like he has been in uh, like the church of Ephesus and Pergamum we saw last time. Well, the problem here is that they tolerate this woman, Jezebel, who is a, basically a self-appointed prophetess. She's coming in saying, well, I, I have this word from God, and let me speak to you this word. But with that word, she's leading people astray. Her teaching is bringing in this false doctrine, this false thinking, this false belief of what God would accept or not. And her teaching is seducing my servants. It's seducing God's people in the church there. They're leading them away from God into really the world, into accepting sin. And that's why 
he, he says here, uh, seducing my servants to practice now, that's a continual action, sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, some of the commentaries, uh, they, they uh, uh, speculate, but they, they seem to think, uh, you know, we seem to think that, well, perhaps since Thyatira is this, this manufacturing uh, city, that during that time they had these guilds or these unions, so to speak, you know, where all the, the, the people who dye cloths would get together, all the people who make pottery would get together, and, and they would come together, you know, in a business aspect. But they would also, during those times, they, they would have a big uh, sacrifice to the idol party, yeah, and would turn into a lot of sexual sins and stuff going on there, immoral activities going on there. So, and each of these trade guilds, they would actually have their own little god, their own little idol that would be watching over the product or the work that they do, who they ma- what they manufacture, and they would, that's what they would sacrifice to. That's what they would worship. And it could be that they would probably require, you know, say this union, that, hey, you got to come to our party here. you got to come to our get-together, and you got to participate in what we do. And, all, and as we honor and worship our idol to our trade, you got to do that, or else, you know what, you're out of business. Or else, you know what, you're going to lose your job. Or else, you know, all those threatening things going on. And so it's, the thought is Jezebel was this prophetess in the church saying, Hey, it's all right. God will understand. Ah, grace, right? God gives us grace. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do do the thing. Have your fun. You got to provide for yourself. But Jesus sees the sickness that is in this church and how Jezebel basically infected believers with approving of that sin. Now, Jezebel might not be her real name. It could be just a nickname for this woman, just like uh, we would maybe even use Judas, right? Oh, you're such a Judas, right? Meaning you're a betrayer, right? Like how Judas betrayed Jesus, and no one would name their child Judas, right? Well, probably no one named their child Jezebel either, because in First Kings chapter 16 in the Old Testament, Jezebel was King Ahab's Wife, you remember Queen Jezebel, and she was very wicked and very evil. She's the one who brought in the worship of Baal into the nation of Israel, and she tempted and seduced and led Israel away from God to to worship Baal. Baal. She even brought things into the temple so that people can come and worship Baal. She even, she even had her own prophets and priests of Baal. And so she was the one who did that and led Israel uh, astray. And she influenced Israel into sexual sins and immorality. So this it might not be her name, but this is what this prophetess did. And so Jesus uh, calls her this Jezebel, or maybe it was her name. You know what I think about? As queen, Queen Jezebel in the Old Testament, as queen, Jezebel infected all of Israel. You know what with this? You know what the, behind all this was? Is this self-gratification thinking, right? Please yourself. 
It's this put yourself above, above God and His Word. Just do what you want to do. And that was a lot of this uh, idol worship and gods. It was, it was really a, a lot about that. And so here is Jezebel in the church promoting it. Oh, no, it's okay. It's all right. You know, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah, it's all right. It's fine. Do this. So then in verse 21 through 23, Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike the ch- her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. I will give to each of you according to your works." So we see here in verse 21 that we see the grace and mercy of God. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. Jesus didn't just get rid of her right away. Jesus is saying, look, I, I, I gave her time to turn around from this, to stop preaching this, to stop poisoning and infecting the people in the church. But she, had, she, she didn't want to do anything of that. She refused. She was stubborn with her sexual immorality. So in her stubbornness, the one with the bronze feet now says that I'm going to bring judgment then. Verse 22, Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. She's making the church sick. Well, I'm going to make her sick. Uh, uh, And then he says, And those who commit adultery with her. Now, remember how God in the Old Testament talked about Israel who went after other idols as adultery? Well, that's the idea. Those who are following her are putting this, these other idols, literally, this uh, wanting to please themselves with the immorality and sex and everything. They're, they're putting that above God, about, above God and His Word. And so that's adultery. That's what God called it when Israel went after other idols and not God Himself. Because Israel was like married to God in that sense. So here's Jesus. He's saying, look, you know what? I'm going to, and those who commit adultery, she's going to be on her sickbed with her. And then he says, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. What is this tribulation? Well, I believe that it could mean two things. It could mean, first of all, it could mean that they're going to Go get into great trouble, this church. Perhaps there's going to be severe persecution. Perhaps God, God's going to come uh, allow some things to come down upon them. There's going to be a lot of trouble for these guys. But I also believe it is prophetic to fast forward into the time of the great tribulation. Jacob's trouble, the last seven years of tribulation on this earth, that it could be these false believers, I believe, will not be able to go in the rapture, but end up going through the great tribulation, so-called. So I believe it could mean both things here, that those who are just so focused on their sin, uh, self, all of that, and not God, that not being truly saved, 
they're going to be going through the tribulation. And so then Jesus says in verse 23, And I will strike her children dead. In other words, the, the ones who follow her, her followers. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. I will give to each of you according to their work. So Jesus sees the sickness and everyone's going to know that Jesus can see this. Only God can see our heart, right? No one else knows. We can put on a good show and we can look like we're believers, but in reality, we're not. It's just on the outside. Well, Jesus says, look, everyone's going to know that I see through those things. And everyone's going to know when they don't make it through there. And that God will bring righteous judgment and Jesus must give what is deserved, basically. Yeah? In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God sees, God can see, he knows with his eyes of flame of fire, and he will bring judgment to those who are just faking it. But take note of something. You know, I'm going to take you back to verse 22. Look at the end. Jesus says, unless they repent of her works. I'll tell you, that is beautiful. That is gracious. That is merciful. You know why? Because first, Jesus is saying, verse 22, uh, eight, or verse 21, you know, I gave her time to repent, but she refused. Yeah? So I'm going to bring judgment. And then he says, here's the judgment that's going to come, sick bed, they're going to go through great tribulation. And then, but he says, unless they repent. You see, Jesus is giving a chance for repentance. And that's our God. That's our God, you guys. He warns us, judgment is coming, you guys. Jesus is going to come and return. Jesus is going to come and take the church in the rapture. It's going to happen. It's a fact. It's been prophesied. We know this from what we study. We know it. So he keeps warning. It's going to come. Judgment's going to come because of this, because of this. Unless you repent. And that's such a sweet call, I believe, that even in our own uh, continual practice of sin, continual failure before God of even Him warning us and we turn away from Him, Jesus said, hey, come on, unless you repent, this is going to happen. Unless you repent, this is going to happen. Even with a hard heart, Jesus graciously keeps calling out. I don't know if you hear that, but I am... I'm blessed by His grace and mercy in my life personally because I make mistakes. I thank God that He gives me the chance to repent. You know what, sadly, by the time the second century came, this was written in the first century, by the time the second century came, there was no more church. This church was gone. The consequences of their sin, rooted, infected by uh, uh, Jezebel, this sickness ended up killing this church. And I believe again, the root of all this was catering to self. That's what I want you to get in your minds this morning. Remember I've been giving nicknames to the churches, right, as we've been going. Like the church of Ephesus, it was the loveless church, right, the loveless church, because they left their first love. 
The second church we went over in chapter 2 is the church of Smyrna, the languishing church, for they were suffering under persecution. Last week we saw the church of Pergamum, and that was the lenient church allowing the compromise. But here, the church of Thyatira, I, I call their infection here, I call how they got corrupted with immoral sin, it was how they ultimately put self first above God. I call them the living for self church. That was a problem. That's why they got into the idol worship. That's why they got in, into the sexual immorality. That's why if they compromised by, well, well I got to get my business going. I got to provide that. That was first even before God. Making money. Yeah? Having the security with monetary things. Because why? Oh, it helps you, yeah, helps me, helps me please myself. So here's the thing here. Jesus warns of the pending judgment for their sin and selfishness, but graciously, graciously gives them a chance to repent. He comes with a grave warning. He comes with a serious warning because of their serious internal infection But he also comes with grace and mercy, giving them this chance to repent. I was thinking about in China, the government at first, you know, when there was a takeover of the communist government, uh, they would stop Christians from following Jesus. And and still, they they still are. They're still an underground church. But after many years, they, they couldn't stop the growth. They just exploded the underground church. You know what they did? Later, they sanctioned an official government church. It was a communist party-controlled church. And you know what they call it? They call it the three-self church. Isn't that crazy? I was, I, I, it popped in my mind this week. I was thinking... Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I've known about this for years, and I've been been to China before on mission trip. But you know, I, and and I, I saw the building there. But when I went, it was already up the, the three self church, and it never dawned on me like and until last time. I was like, why is it called the three self church? You know, such a weird name for a church. Well, it's because of what the government pushes. The government says the church is about. The, the government, basically, about the country. And what they push in the church, basically, is self-governance, governance, self-support, and self-propagation. So they are about, the church is about promoting the government, the communist government. That's why the three selves is through self-governance, self-support, and self-propagation. They are, they have some rules for the church. They are to, re, to uh, reject foreigners influence on the church uh, the the leadership um, uh, any leadership from foreign uh, foreign financing foreign missionaries uh, they are not to do that the church is to show loyalty to China there's rules like this the Communist Party decides how many can be baptized per year who can preach and what can be preached Preaching, they said, should be focused on social rules and not the social benefits of Christianity. They're for, uh, forbidden to preach about the resurrection of Jesus or the second coming of Jesus. They are forbidden to give out tracts. They're forbidden to preach outside the church or even worship outside the church. And 
Um, they have rules like government officials cannot be a Christian in their church, along with police officers, soldiers, teachers, and children and teenagers. You can see that this is really a government church, a church that's promoting them. It's all about, to me, self-preservation, about self-rule or self-their government, right? That's, that, that's crazy. But you know what? Jesus warns that we don't do the same thing. That there's judgment coming. Because when we get into ourselves, we get into sin. When we really get into ourselves, we allow anything to go. But Jesus saying, no, you have time. You have an opportunity to repent right now. We can get, up, get caught up into our own selves, I think, too much. Perhaps maybe that explains why you're caught up in so much immorality putting other things before God or not obeying God's word. Putting me first, right? Putting pleasure first. Sometimes I think we set up our own three self-church. Self-satisfaction, self-preservation, and (laughs) self-gain. We have our own three self-church or even four or five self. But God is giving gracious opportunity. Jesus is coming soon. Soon, you guys. There's some things happening in the world. There's a change in our government. There's some things we really got to pray about. Because remember I was talking about persecution? There's the Equality Act. We got to be careful and pray, you guys. There's some things happening. That only means, though, Jesus is coming soon. The rapture is going to happen Soon. So where are you today? Some people come to church and follow God. Why? Because, oh, it, it works with how it helps me. Yeah, My selfish gains and uh, desires and satisfaction. Oh, and as soon as a pastor says something, oh, I'm out of here. I don't like what you're saying. Yeah? Why? Oh, because it, it's all about you. That's why. But get past me and think about what God is saying right here. You know what? He sees inside of us. He sees our minds. I know he sees me and my own selfishness and I do things for my own self-satisfaction, not for God. There's healthy parts of me, but there's some sick parts of me too that is infected and diseased and it's a disease with that disease of self. Self-preservation maybe. What is it? Self-pleasure. What is it for you? You guys, we need to repent. And you know what? Today is perfect because we are going to the Lord in communion. And when we do, we need to repent of these things. Unless you repent, you guys. Let's be real here. So it's time to take care of the serious internal infection going on. Because Jesus sees that sickness, the self-sickness. Let's go on to our last one. Last heading, number three, Jesus sees the overcomers. And this is the rest of our verses here, verse 24 through 29. But let's first take a look at verse 24 and 25. It says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. 
But to the true believers here now, Jesus addresses and he says, you know, to you guys who've not allowed yourselves to get infected and get sick with this kind of teaching, those of you, he says, interesting here, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. What is that? We don't know exactly. Some speculate that, well, perhaps Jesus is talking about where this Jezebel, the prophetess, would come and says, the spirit, of the, the spirit is telling me this, right? But it's not the Spirit of God. It's probably the Spirit of Satan bringing out some things, some deep things, what you guys say, oh, that's, that's satanic stuff. I was thinking, I wonder if it could be what we're talking about today. I think the deep things of the problem with the devil is his selfishness. His pride, we know, his pride you know, made him fall. He wanted to be like God. Why is that? Because he thought about himself, right? I think a lot of the deep issues in us is based on our focus of self. Self, self, and not God. And, and I, I was just thinking, praying this morning, I thought, you know, Jesus, the, one of the greatest examples he did was he sacrificed himself, right? He, he put us first in dying on the cross, not himself, not to preserve himself. Not to preserve his, 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 uh, uh, what people thought about him, right? He laid all of that down on the line to die for our sins. I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? I know my problem. I'm always thinking about myself. And not ready to sacrifice all. And sometimes that's the idol in our lives. It may not be the material things or money or your car or even a person or relationship. Sometimes the idols we set up is ourselves. We put ourselves up first before God. So it could be that. So Jesus says, hey, I know you guys there, that you haven't gotten sick with this, you haven't infected yourself with these things. But look, he says in verse 24, I say I do not lay on you any other burden. In other words, I'm not telling you you got to rise up and get rid of this prophetess. I'm not telling you that you, you, you got to you know, stand up in church and start yelling at her and all that. He's like, no worries. I'm going to take care of it all. I will take care of what's going to happen. That's what he's saying. All you need to do, he's saying here in verse 25, only hold fast until I come. Hold on to the truth. Hold on to denying yourself and following me and picking up the cross. Hold on in faith in that way. Keep to that. Keep going. And then he says in verse 26, you know what? The one who conquers, the conquerors is who's holding fast to the truth and God's word. You overcomers who continue on in faith and truth till I come. He says, when I come then, you know what? The one to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my father. What is he talking about? I think he's fast forwarding into the future during the time of the millennium. And we're going to see this in Revelation chapter 2, I mean chapter 22, that believers, the saints... Those who are true in faith in Christ, we're going to rule and reign with Christ on this new earth that he's going to make, this renewed earth. We will be part of the 
leadership, the government. We're going to have that authority as believers over the world, uh, uh, the, uh, the new world in the millennium. And so that's why Jesus said, you'll rule them with a rod and iron. In other words, well, um, God's going to be strict too, and we're going to have that too, in that there will be no sin at all. And as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even myself, I have received authority. In other words, Jesus is going to stamp out and break break apart any evil or any sin. or He's not going to allow that at all as crushing and breaking apart, uh, smashing any injustice or, or sin or crime like smashing clay pots. For he has the authority given to by the Father. You know what I look forward to is in the millennium, we're going to have... A, a perfect government, no longer corrupt. Isn't that refreshing to hear? Yeah. No longer none of this corruption going on. And then verse 28, Jesus says, and I will give him the morning star. In other words, the morning star is hope. He says, and I'm going to give you hope. The morning star, Jesus actually says at the end of Revelation that he is the morning star also. That, that he's the one. And it's really talking about, um, uh, they talk about how right before the sun comes up and the, the sky starts to fade, but at, that the brightest star is Venus and you can see Venus, the morning star, and then the sun comes up. It's a sign that dawn is, you know, the sun is about to come. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the morning star. I'm the one that will come and give you hope and show you that there's a new age coming after this. He's our hope. And then, verse 29, He who has an ear to hear, uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here we go again, Jesus saying, Look, everyone has ears, but do you have ears to really hear what I'm saying? And will you respond to that? So, Jesus sees the overcomer the one who conquers as the one who is not given into totally living for self. Think about it this way. <clears throat> the infection of those in Thyatira was following the depths of Satan leading them to darkness and judgment. But those true believers, the overcomers, they have Jesus, the morning star, the light of life. So our last point is this. Finally, Jesus encourages true believers to keep yourself from being infected by self-focus and be corrupted by sin. Sometimes, um, you know, I, I can get a little lax, you know, with the health and safety kind of protocols personally and, you know, uh, what we live in today. And I don't know about you, when, when some potential thing comes in, you know, someone you know or family or they they get tested and it's positive, all of a sudden my mind's like, oh, oh, you know, make sure I'm washing my hands, you know. It's funny, my um, Apple Watch, when I start washing my hands, it, um, it'll start this timer so that you're actually washing your hands for 20 seconds, <laughs> you know. Someone told me if you sing happy birthday, Two times that that's 20 seconds, you know. But, but it just reminds you of all those things. You know? you get back in the car after the store, hand sanitize, you know. When you get home, wash your hands, all those things. When, when an incident close to you or something happens, you know, it reminds you to keep doing what you've been doing 
or get back to that. Well, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. He's encouraging the true believers. Keep yourself from being infected by that. Focus on self and, and, and then get corrupted with sin and lead you down that road. Let's not let that old self, our flesh, let's not let sin inside and allow them thinking, well, it's okay. And we won't. You know why? Because you today, who has ears to hear, are believers that hear the Spirit. And as believers, you will respond. And in responding, you are the one who conquers. You are the overcomer. But let's look in our hearts even more and not cater to any self, anything. I'll close with this. The people of a particular tribe in South America were dying prematurely for generations. And after some investigation, um, scientists found the cause of the early death of, of, this, of the people in this tribe. A disease was carried and transmitted by an insect, get this, that lived inside the walls of their uh, adobe or the, the, the mud clay houses that they built. The people of their tribe, basically, when they discovered this, was presented with three options. They could move to where there was none of these insects. They could tear down all their homes and rebuild, you know, with, with, with pesticides and things that would kill these, eradicate these bugs. Or the third choice is, third option was you could just continue as you, you have and die early from the disease. You know what they did? Sadly, they chose to remain there and do nothing. We shake our heads. Yeah. What is that? You know. But you know, in the same way, many have been informed by Jesus, warned by Jesus, but still choose to do nothing. We're not like that, right? We're not going to be like that. We're going to take what's been said here, what God is saying to us, and we're going to live it, we're going to apply it, we're going to grow from this, no matter how hard it is. We don't want to be like those who choose to do nothing. So let's take care of the serious internal infection. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word today, God, and thank you for speaking deep into us, Lord. There are some things that we have tolerated, God, some Jezebels inside of us in our minds are saying, ah, it's okay. Think of yourself. But sometimes when we think of ourself in that bad way, it's too much of ourself, Lord. And so, God, we want to come before you in repentance and confess our sins before you. God, that we have set up idols, Lord, that we have in our minds and hearts already sinned, God, Lord, by setting up that idol of self. God, we want to tear down the idol. We want to tear down those altars, God. No longer worship self, but worship you, Jesus. And as we come before you in this time of communion, God, as you have gone and spoke to us, Lord, as you've gone down deep into our hearts, God, Lord, we want to come before you, remember the cross, be forgiven and made anew today. So make us new, Lord, as we confess. Cleanse us, Lord, by your blood and let us walk out of here, Lord, as a new person, given another chance, Lord, repented and ready to live for you, 
and not for self any longer. In Jesus' name, amen.